Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Times are tough. Uncertainty plagues the European continent with rapidly soaring energy prices, uncontrollable inflation absent clear directives, a brutal war in Ukraine with no expiration date in sight for Russia's prolonged aggression, and a simmering lack of respect for leadership, which raises questions whether those gripping the reins of power throughout European capitals are indeed the right individuals for the tasks ahead. Nonetheless, some glimmers of hope are seemingly emerging, aiming to promote values of family, love for one's country, and the determination that an individual is not merely a consumer absent a soul. Good evening, I'm Jonathan Hassan, and this is TV7 Europa Stance. Joining me to dissect the latest in European challenges and opportunities are General Klaus Naumann, who is the former Bundeswehr Chief of General Staff and Chairman of NATO's Military Committee. Thank you for joining us, General. Thank you. Professor Jacek Chaputovich, who is a professor at the University of Warsaw, who served formerly as Poland's Minister of Foreign Affairs between 2018 and 2020. Thank, Thank you for joining us. Uh, also, of course, Colonel Richard Kemp, a former British infantry commander and head of the International Counterterrorism Intelligence Team at the British Cabinet Office, as well as the Chairman of Intelligence uh, Committee at COBRA. Thank you for joining us My as pleasure. well. Thank you. And uh, Mr. Peter Osman, who is an incumbent Finnish uh, member of parliament uh, since 2011, first vice chair of the Christian Democrats Party, and uh, the deputy member of Finland's Foreign Affairs Committee and chair of the Finnish parliamentary friendship groups of both Ukraine and Israel. Thank you for joining us as well. Thank you. Let's uh, start with a opener topic, a topic that obviously has been a, a point of discussion in all European households, I want to assume, and that is the energy crisis. Uh, General Nauman, we'll start with you as usual. Prices are soaring rapidly. Governments uh, seem to be struggling. Of course, we will hear your assessment on this momentarily. But to what degree are European leaders doing enough to contend with this challenge at this moment in time? As far as I can see, yes, they do enough. They try to overcome the deficiencies which they, they have created themselves. And I start with my own house, Germany. Uh, we made terrible mistakes by depending uh, to a large degree on Russian gas import, which was a strategic mistake beyond any description. Uh, but now we are there, we have to cope with it. And uh, at the moment, the good news is that the gas storage sites in Germany are filled between 32, uh, 92 to 95%, which may help us to overcome most of the winter. And uh, despite all ideological hurdles, the Green Party in Germany is close to prolong the running time of our two remaining nuclear power plants, which may help us also to overcome the worst. But nevertheless, we are still in an energy crisis and uh, we have to work to overcome it. 
Professor Chapotovic. Poland took a different decision. We decided, uh, the current government in 2015, to build an alternative way of import of gas. And just this week, uh, Baltic Pipe was opened. Uh, we will import gas from Norway through Denmark and will become the independent from imports from Russia. So it was a very good decision uh, taken uh, after consideration at that time. And I am pleased that it, it, it's realized. So it's a good symbol. For Poland, energy crisis is also very important. We are dependent on, on coal. So for us, uh, the prices of ETS, this uh, um, energy trading system, are very important. So our postulate would be just to freeze prices on that because it will have negative impact on, on, on ener energy prices in Poland and in Europe. So we'll have to see long-term uh, objectives, which is environment, reduction of CO2, but the most important are now uh, short-term objectives. Uh, the impact of that energy uh, crisis and prices on war in Ukraine and on societies. So our postulate would be to be more flexible as far as European policy is concerned relating to environment. Indeed. Colonel Kemp? Yeah, I mean, Britain, Britain obviously doesn't have the same level of dependency on Russian gas and oil as, as Germany has. Um, but Britain also shot itself in the foot a few years back when it um, made a decision to, uh, for, for environmental reasons, to close down coal-fired power stations, etc. And therefore, we were anyway facing a form of energy crisis even before um, the, the, you know, the Ukraine war began. Um, but, but I think our, our immediate problem now is, is not so much supply <coughs> excuse me, as, um, as prices. And, and our government's taken a very significant step in the last uh, few days, the last week or so, um, to, to, to place a government-funded cap on energy prices, which I think will make a significant difference to the cost of living for many, many people. But of course, it's going to cost the government a huge amount of money and will require increased, uh, lend, increased borrowing. Um, which is hugely problematic. But I think, I think you know, everyone, the government in Britain is well aware of the problem, as they are across the whole of Europe, and I think are doing their best to take steps to try and alleviate it. But it is going to be painful, I think, particularly in, uh, in prices rather than supply in the, in the coming months. Mm. Mr. Otsman? Uh, the answer to the question are, uh, have the politicians and the leaders, have they done enough uh, when we when we are now standing before this energy crisis, uh, I would say yes and no. Uh, the vision is good, but the strategy uh, is is not good enough. And uh, during the last two decades, there have several mistakes been done, huge mistakes. Uh, I refer to, to the German government that uh, decided to close down the nuclear energy. But not only Germany, the, the same process is going on in Belgium and uh, also the Swedish government made this uh, decision already for, for uh, two, two decades ago. And this is a big mistake. And, uh, and now we need to, to think about, uh, first of all, uh, in, uh, of course, in the long run, we need to reduce the emission of uh, CO2. But uh, on, in the short term, we also need to take in account what, what is going on in the world. I am I, quite convinced that if, uh, if uh, the leaders had been 
uh, aware of what, what is taking place today. For instance, two or three years ago, many of the decisions made on the European level would, be, uh, would have been in a different direction th than we have now before us. Indeed. Uh, General Nauman, I'd like to ask you, is the pursuit of alternative energies coming <coughs> at a cost, considering the fact that uh, the pursuit of these alternative energies demands significant investment, uh, the uh, diminishing of uh, emissions is, is not necessarily that significant, and at the same time, the focus thereof uh, does cost the, the private consumer quite significantly. So, where are the benefits in the short term when the long term is not what concerns households these days? Well, I think the <clears throat> for us in Germany, the the only feasible alternative is to rely more on renewables. We have we simply have no other option. And the mistake which we made is to some extent uh, buried in our constitution, which is we are a federal state, um, which means that every federal state can rule whether the necessary uh, Supply lines can be constructed, uh, and that is our mistake. We have now big solar plants, big wind plants in the northern part of Germany, but the demand of energy is in the south, and the supply lines are not there because, to some extent, politicians who follow the line that they have to run where his people are, where her people are running, um, stopped the construction of supply lines and now we are there. The power plants are there but the supply lines are missing and this will take years. So um, I think again we are in a crisis which will not be overcome in a few months. It will take years to get it properly done and then we have to look and we will do it and we are in the process of doing it for green hydrogen uh, as a new element of fuel, but this also will take a few more years until it will be efficient. Keep in mind, of course, that winter is just around the corner. Uh, um, Professor Czapatowicz, uh, your perspective on this, also from a Polish Central European aspect? I fully agree. We have to concentrate on short-term goals, which is uh, security, which is Ukraine, which is energy security, not on environment. European Union imposed on member states some system of um, paying for, uh, for, for, for energy, uh, possibility to produce energy from coal and for, from uh, emission of <coughs> SO2 and it have to be, in our opinion, uh, revived and changed for some time or suspended for some time. So environment it's okay, offshore uh, wind uh, pr uh, production is uh, okay as a future goal, but for, for the moment we face war uh, uh, just uh, in Ukraine and there is a threat from Russia to other countries, so we have to concentrate on that. Unfortunately, European Union does not uh, take into consideration Polish recommendations, maybe because we are more dependent on coal pro uh, in production of energy than other countries. But we have to take also into consideration the circumstances Central European countries are in and take into consideration their expectations concerning 
prices of energy because our society will pay for this, it's undoubtedly. Indeed. Colonel Kemp, of course, uh, it's not only the, the Central and Eastern European countries who are uh, challenged by this demand, but also Western countries who are demanded by European institutions to so-called uh, show uh, the, the leadership within the context of the richer countries, or at least from uh, uh, the perspective of the European institution. Uh, nevertheless, it's not about what they ask for. It is the way that this should be implemented and how uh, should we be dynamic within the context of possibly also finding uh, creative solutions, innovation. Uh, to what degree do you see the UK, which of course is not a party, to the European uh, institution anymore. Nonetheless, it's very much committed to zero emissions. Yeah, and, and I would introduce the, the thought that actually a huge amount of influence on current policies over environmental issues, zero emission, all of this, a lot, a lot of the pressure that came on this was financed by Russia. Uh, and, and, and you know, there's, there's no, it's not a disputable fact. It is reality that, that Russia funded, hugely funded, all of the green parties in Europe as well as other lobbies as well. And I think that should be borne in mind. I mean, the damage has been done because people are convinced of the, the what, what I would consider to be the, the you know, the, the fake um, global warming or climate change. I know there's climate change, but the idea that we can actually have a huge impact on it and that. Is, should take priority over everything else. I think that those ideas came from one place, and that was Vladimir Putin, as well as some of his predecessors. Very interesting indeed, Mr. Olsman. I, I would say it's interesting to, to listen to my colle colleagues here, because uh, uh, although we are members of Europe, and uh, yeah, well, UK left European Union, but We're we, still in we, 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 count on you, we count on you also in the future. But, but it's this discussion about the energy crisis, which affects all European countries. Uh, but when we discuss it, we easily go and look upon the problem from a national point of view. But I want to remind that this is a common problem for the whole Europe, in the both short term and in the long term, because we were too much depending on Russian energy until the war came, the Russian aggression and attack. Uh, toward Ukraine. So I think it's very important that although it will, it will be painful, this process, for each uh, member of European Union and also the, the, the Western world, I think that we, we must uh, be ready to pay the price for it. But otherwise, uh, we will be sp split into different uh, opinions and uh, different directions, which is to the benefit of uh, the, the Russian Federation and, and the, the administration there. We need to have in mind that we need to, be, to stand united behind Ukraine, stand with Ukraine, be, uh, show solidarity, and it, it has a price, yes. But we also need to explain this for our citizens in each country so they are really aware that why are we in, the, in this situation now? Yes, we can agree and uh, confess that politicians, we have made huge mistakes. And now we have a collective responsibility to try to sort out this problem uh, together and find uh, solutions both for short and long term. Well, this is a good opportunity to recommend also to uh, the various uh, uh, people watching in leadership what may be your recommendation, General Nauman. How would you 
uh, tackle this issue. Obviously, infrastructure connecting the country from north to south, east to west is a significant thing, not just in matters of energy, but also water and other things. But what would you do differently? Well, I think the, our Finnish colleague just raised a very important point. We have to look at the entire thing from a European point of view. It's not a German, Polish or Finnish, Finnish. problem. It's a European problem. And it's not only linked to energy, it's linked to many other things. We, we see the dependency on Russia in the field of energy, in the field of raw materials, of technological import. We see dependency on China, which may be as dangerous as uh, the dependency on Russia. So we have to address the entire thing, and that means that we have to look at future security, economic, financial policy from a, I should say, a comprehensive view and try to address it in a real comprehensive way. And if I look at uh, this task, it seems to me that the highly cherished new documents of the European Union, the strategic compass of NATO, the new strategic con uh, concept, are definitely falling short of the necessities. Indeed. Professor Chapotovic, um, your take on this also, what can you recommend to your colleagues, not only in Poland, but all over Europe? When I listen to this discussion, I, I, I hear that a European voice was wrong, it should be made differently. But let me remind you that Poland belongs to the European Union for 18 years and our decisions was good. We warned about Nord Stream 1, Nord Stream 2, about aggressive policy of Russia. The problem is why this correct policy was not implemented by the European Union. What to do in future that good recommendations are not accepted because maybe they are proposed by uh, Central European countries or there are other reasons, maybe there are some interests of states which dominate the European Union. So we have to rethink all functioning of the European Union because we don't have a feeling that uh, we did something wrong. We diversified our resources, we warned, but we couldn't do more. Now when we listen proposals uh, of Chancellor Scholz, for example, to change uh, the um, decision-taking uh, system in European Union uh, to uh, get rid of unanimity or veto system. The problem is, was not the decision-making system, but the decisions as such. So this is not a problem, the decision-making system, but the problem was that wrong decisions were taken. Uh, not the problem how decisions are taken, and it will be the problem also in the future how to create uh, uh, the possibility that these voices are also listened uh, in the European Union. Well, let me actually um, move on, if uh, I may, and, and uh, of course you may recommend the, the British uh, uh, cabinet to make a different uh, choice at this stage, and I'd like also to hear your uh, position on this, Mr. Osman. But um, to what degree are those decisions and the, the various um, directives that are being brought forth sustainable within the context of strategic power competition for Europe as a whole, considering the fact that we are faced with an ongoing competition, albeit a secondary role, but still a significant role uh, in this triangle, United States or 
China and the United States, with also Russia playing a significant role uh, and a more significant role than it used to since the invasion into Ukraine? <clears throat> well, for a start, the British cabinet wouldn't listen to what I said anyway, I'm sure of that. Um, but uh, and Never say never. <laughs> <laughs> not but we listen. Not we if listen. they have any sense. <laughs> but um, I, think, I think that you, know, you put your finger on it uh, in, in the question you asked General Nauman earlier about leadership. Um, and, and leadership, I think, is something that, that in, in Western countries, in the United States, in Western Europe, perhaps more than Eastern Europe or Central Europe, uh, is something I think that's been very badly lacking. Um, and, and, and one of the fundamental problems in that leadership, which has led to the, the you know, General Nauman talking about the um, German dependency on Russian gas in particular, and we, we're all dependent to about, for about 90% of rare earths coming out that we need for, increasingly need for technology, all forms of technology, including green technology. We, we depend 90 to 90% on China. Uh, and, and these things, you know, you, you could ask, anyone detached from this could ask how, these, how, how politicians make these decisions. Is it just naivety? I think it's more than that. I think it amounts to, um, to, to a, an obsession from in the post-war period, post-Second World War period, where, where Europe, Europeans believe in, in that everybody is reasonable, rational. Everybody thinks as we think. And, and you just have to look at the attitudes toward Iran, where... where European countries and America are falling over themselves to try and get uh, the nuclear deal going with Iran, which paves the nuclear path for Iran, without really understanding that Iranians are not rational, they're not reasonable people any more than the Russian leadership is. So I think it's that, that fundamental failing in, in leadership in, in the West in the post-war period or the period since the Second World War, uh, which, which kind of I thinks everyone just thinks as we do, and we've, we, you know, everyone wants to be nice to each other. Indeed. Mm -hmm. Mr. Osman, uh, I, just, uh, one moment, please. Yeah. Just inject what, what, one thought. Okay. We should not say in the time after the Cold War, we should never forget that it was leadership which brought the Cold War to a successful end. True. Very, I would Very true. Yeah. Uh, my Mr. comment Osman. to this discussion is that what, what, uh, what should we learn from this? I, I would say that we need to listen better to each other. Why, would, why didn't we listen to, to Poland when they were warning us? Why, why didn't Europe, why didn't we listen to UK when, when you were on, uh, before you ma make the decision to leave? Uh, I would be ve more than happy if UK still would be a mem full member of European Union. And I think it could have been possible if yeah. the other leaders in Europe would have listened to the problems that the UK had and uh, could make compromises and we would be more happy with UK and EU together. I think you're absolutely, I'm, I'm sure Britain would still be in the EU today mm. if those compromises had been made. Mm. May, I, may I add to you one thought as a silent observer of many summits in my days as chairman of the NATO military committee, one of the mistakes which our leading politicians often made is that they are trying too polite to each other. They do not use plain, clear-cut language. Mm. And I have often said to American friends when I was in, in the chair, put off your gloves, take them on and tell them where we are. But they never did. They tried to be Mr. Nice Guy. And, with that and then Trump came around and established a backlash. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> he, ha Let, he was lacking of behavior. That's another thing. Indeed. Well, uh, I'd like to ask you, General Nauman, specifically, and, and we'll come back to strategic power competition, but regarding the current uh, conflict in Ukraine, 
we heard Stoltenberg in an interview to Reuters just recently speaking about the long haul, the necessity for resilience. Uh, this obviously is coupled with cohesion, the necessity to maintain that cohesion within continental Europe and beyond. And uh, also the, the fact, ultimately, that we're dealing with a reality in which uh, there is fatigue and the economic situation is not getting better in Europe, uh, something that is going to have its implications in one way or another. What do we look at at this stage when the Ukrainians are having successes in the battlefield against the Russians, against all odds, if I may add, uh, if uh, we look back at our discussion points at the beginning of Europa Stands, some 10 editions ago. They are transforming from an Eastern lacking uh, capabilities military to a, a quite structured Western military with clear-cut goals that is able to challenge the, the Russian bear, albeit uh, on a diet, for that matter? Well, I think from my point of view, the Ukrainians deserve every respect for what they have achieved so far. It's uh, quite remarkable. And uh, I think we should applaud them for their bravery, for their resilience, for their capability to use what we in German language call Auftragstaktik, leading by mission and not leading by clear-cut. A fixed concept. But we should not forget we are by far not at the end of this conflict. There is no strategic turning point at this time, as we have read in many newspapers. They have achieved a splendid success near Kharkiv, but that's not the end of the war. And we should not forget what Putin has in mind. He has told us very clearly in December last year what his vision is. He wants to establish Yalta too. He wants to divide Europe once again. And he will not back off despite uh, tactical uh, defeats. So our instrument is to stay united. We have to stick together, cost whatever it will cost. If not, we will see endless war, not only in Europe, but elsewhere. And that I think we, all those people need to understand who call now, we have to negotiate, not we have to negotiate. The ones who have to take the decisions are the Ukrainians. And we all have to be aware, if we concede Russia only one square meter of uh, uh, Ukrainian territory, we'll open the door to the world in which only the law of the jungle prevails. And that I think has to be kept in mind. Absolutely, Professor Chapel. I fully agree with that assessment. So we have to uh, maintain our values. We have to defend the, the weak side. Uh, we have to defend and strengthen international law. We cannot allow Russia to annex territory. The war shows that uh, the will of nation to fight is very important. And um, you cherish more what you have, the territory you defend, than new acquisitions. So we also can read opinions about uh, poor, so to say, performance and also motivation of, of, of Russian, Russian troops. I would add to, to that one thing. Ukraine uh, will not survive and will not win that war without support of other countries. So we have to be united. Very good that we are the West, the democracies are united behind the Ukraine. But there are some countries which have more 
possibilities, capabilities to uh, support militarily Ukrainian more than they do until now. So the problem is how to um, uh, make some pressure on these countries on how, how to uh, how these countries can take decision to provide more weapons because this is what counts at the moment. Currently, the U.S., U.K. countries like Poland uh, on the eastern flank are leading countries in the support of Ukrainian military. Uh, more European countries should be on board. Did Colonel Kemp? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think to some extent what happened in Kharkov was a bit of a turning point. It may not have been a strategic turning point in military terms, but I do think it was a very significant series of events. And I agree with General Nauman that the, um, the, the Ukrainian army armed forces performed extremely well, but with a great deal of Western support in doing so in various different ways, including intelligence, which was fundamental to that. Um, but I think we're, 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 the turning point perhaps came. I was very concerned before this new offensive in Kharkov. I was very concerned that, that the West, Western countries and Western Europe in particular were likely to be um, to, to, to lose their support for Ukraine because they are suffering economically very, very badly. They know that their, their countries are in, in many cases are giving a lot of support to Ukraine and they're they're attracting this suffering by the sanctions on Russia, uh, and that yet they don't see any result because it's just a kind of grinding attritional war. Yet I think the, the, the victory, as far as it was a victory in, in the Kharkov area, um, may have changed that, may have made people think actually, you know, something is being achieved by the Ukrainians as a result of our support. So I think, I think, it, I think it's important that that, that that message gets out there so that, yeah, p perhaps the, pr the price of gas, the price of fuel, etc., is, is a real problem for people, but at least they see some kind of reward for, for the, the suffering they're going through. You chair the Intelligence Committee at COBRA, one of the most instrumental organizations at this stage uh, when it comes to uh, the war in Ukraine and, and providing the Ukrainians with intelligence to uh, make those successes. Uh, from your opinion, if I may, uh, add another point, to what degree do you think that the Ukrainians are able to turn those tactical successes into a strategic success? Well, I think, I think I mean, we shouldn't forget that, that the Russians moved a huge number of their forces out of the area that was then attacked by Ukraine, um, because the, the Russians, I think, were expecting a, a stronger offensive down in the south in the Kherson region, and, and they therefore moved a lot of their forces out, which enabled the Ukrainian success. Now we've got a much stronger Russian position in, in uh, the areas of Donbass and in the, in the south, uh, which Putin's in the process of trying to reinforce. So to, to succeed there will require a great deal more military effort than we, had, than we witnessed in Kharkov. And that means tanks, it means you know, a lot of conventional munitions. Uh, and, and it's really incumbent, I think, on, on the West to, to uh, as Pete, as, um, yeah, yeah, sorry. That's it. I beg your pardon, Yatrik. Yeah, uh, suggested to, 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 to strengthen and go beyond what we've already done. I think that's extremely important. If I may, one second, I'd like to ask you also, General uh, uh, Nauman, with regard to uh, the mass uh, um, conscription now in, in Russia, uh, three waves of roughly 303,000 uh, each uh, uh, wave. Uh, do you see this um, putting more pressure on the Ukrainian side or uh, is there an answer to that in a certain degree? 
Uh, first of all, my response to that is that Mr. Putin scored uh, what in soccer terms we would call a self-goal. That 200,000 young Russians are leaving the country, reinforcing the, the brain drain which is uh, inflicting Russia anyway, is definitely not a success. And uh, whether he will bring in 300,000 people, um, okay, that may be possible, but people need to be integrated in the combat forces. They need to be trained. They have to be skilled forces, fully integrated in the combat units. That will take a couple of weeks. If they just are poured in, there will be cannon fodder, nothing else. And we have, we have to see what will happen with these people. But it means also for us, and uh, confer, I confirm what Richard said, we, need, we have to support Ukraine as much as we can by delivering as much weapon as we can deliver and also ammunition, since Ukraine, as far as I know, doesn't have uh, any longer any ammunition production facilities. And that is a question which concerns all European countries and, uh, of course, also Germany, which is in with uh, respect to some weapon categories, from my point of view, a little bit too reluctant. Indeed. Mr. Osman, I'd like to hear also beyond that, uh, one of the biggest recipients to those Russians leaving was Finland. How do you see this? Was there a, a good response to this uh, uh, influx of young men coming in from Russia? Uh, of course, th this has been a uh, big uh, topic for deba debate during the last weeks. Uh, but yesterday, the, the Finnish government made a final decision that we need to restrict it. Uh, and that, uh, namely, when it comes to, to tourists that are coming in. But we need to have in mind that uh, uh, many Russians have the, the Schengen passport and they are traveling via the counter that they can go uh, and, and they come into Finland and they go uh, to other countries. And uh, it's a very complicated thing if we look at it from the uh, juridical point of view that if Finland would begin to restrict somebody who is uh, traveling with the Schengen passport, uh, is it according to the international law or is it not? But anyway, Finland's government made a decision yesterday. So uh, in, in the future, it, uh, the only people who has uh, relatives in Finland or they have a property or a house or, or for humanitarian reasons can come enter the, the border. But uh, once again, I want to come back to Mr. Uh, General Nauman, with the, the important message, message that he brought forth, we need to be reminded about this, that Ukrainians, they are fighting for their freedom and for the democracy in Ukraine, but at the same time, they are fighting for our democracy and freedom. And this is the reason why, instead of blaming each other, I know that there are differences when it comes to how much each country is supporting with weapons and, and uh, other uh, articles to, to Ukraine, but instead of blaming, we should support one another and uh, ask friendly that please join this group and, and give more support to Ukraine, because in the long run, we are all winners of this. Indeed. Well, I'd like to cite actually um, a quote by uh, Colonel Camp, uh, who just, uh, this was uh, an article that was published just recently. Um, and uh, you said the following, expect Putin to tighten the screws as temperatures drop. For him, it makes strategic sense. 
There are more pain increased energy prices inflict on businesses and consumers, the greater the pressure on leaders to ease sanctions and uh, the lower their will to fund his enemies. And I'd like to ask you, Chap uh, Chapotovich, do you see, with winter around the corner, the uh, soaring inflation, uh, which is staggering uh, from multiple angles in, in pretty much every European country, is there the cap uh, capacity within society to withstand this winter in the same manner that is happening during the summer? Uh, as far as Poland is concerned, it is because we support Ukrainians. We are aware that there is a cost of, for that, mm -hmm. and society is willing to pay that cost. So no problem with that. And of course, um, the energy um, prices will affect negatively, adversely uh, life of society in our region. I am not sure about the opinion in Western Europe, but I think also I am rather optimistic because Europeans are uh, motivated by values, uh, not only by interest, economic interest, prices. So generally we think that European Union is based on values and we have to sometimes suffer or pay costs, economic costs, in order to maintain these values, to support these values, in that case to support Ukraine. And I think there is also a pressure of civic society in countries like Germany on politicians to maintain support for Ukraine, even at cost of um, higher energy prices. Of course, I, can, I read also other opinions that people in Belgium and other countries are tired, they want to come back to business as usual, to conclude kind of a peace agreement with Putin, but it will be awful for security, for future of Europe, but also uh, for our values, as, uh, as I say. Well, taking into effect that uh, just in the Netherlands there was it, uh, energy prices jumped by times 9 and 10 and 11, Germany the same. Uh, we can go through all of Europe here in Finland about times 5. Uh, General Nauman, uh, your take on this, will Ge Germany withstand uh, considering the fact that there is a certain split within society. Well, yeah, there is a split in society and the split will grow without any doubt. I have little doubt that the German government will stay the course. Um, and they know that it means sacrifice. Uh, but I, as far as I can see it, I'm not privy to what they are talking at the cabinet level. Uh, but as far as I can see it, as an attentive attentive uh, outward observer, I think they are determined to stay the course. And I'm saying this also as someone, presumably the only one in this group here, who had seen what it, and who remembers very well, what it means to live in a harsh winter in bombed cities. I know what it means. And we survived, and the next generations will survive as well. And I think we all should remember what the young Estonian Prime Minister said. Energy costs me wise, but freedom is simply indispensable. Even though back then migration was not as significant as it is uh, today, or at least is not as easy as it is today within a, 
uh, globalized world. That's also a discussion point yeah, that we refugees should Refugees are consider. better used to living in, in under harsh conditions than we are. Indeed, that is true. Colonel Kemp? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I can, I, I, I can understand why there's going to be a lot of, a lot of um, dissatisfaction in Western Europe um, in, in the coming months. There is going to be, and, and, and I can see why there is. Because people, you know, we're, we're different sitting around this table. We're not the average person. We think, we think at the level of a bigger picture, we have wider experience. Most people don't and aren't really interested in it. Most people, they are interested in how much it costs to fill their car up, whether they're going to be cold at home, whether they're going to have fuel rationed or whatever. That's what most people think. And although the political leaders will also probably think like us and and be staunch in their support, they're going to come under huge pressure. This is the age of social media when, uh, you know, people can't just keep their opinions to themselves. They can use it to, to, to spread a lot of dissatisfaction. So I think we're going to have, we are going to have big problems in, in Europe over the coming period. And that's where, again, leadership comes into it. And, and, and I think the political leaders, it's one thing for them to stand fast. It's another thing to make sure their populations stay behind them. And I think that's going to be very difficult. Mr. Osman, I'd like to hear you, but I'd like also to add to that uh, EU annual inflation stood at 10.1% uh, in August of 2022, up from 9.8% uh, in July of 2022. Uh, the euro area at large was 9.1% inflation. Uh, France actually was uh, pretty good. Uh, compared to others. Everything is relative these days, 5.9%. Finland here was 7.6%, uh, but Germany 79 And we're going up. Italy 84 Sweden 98 uh, UK 99 Netherlands 101 Spain 105 and Poland 16.1%. We will come to that in a moment. Uh, Ms. What can be done to stop this? Uh, and where is the central bank when we need it to actually take the right decisions and stop this from uh, going spiral? Good question. And, and then when it, when it comes to, to the European policy, I, I uh, want to refer to my group in, in the Parliament, European, uh, European People's Party. Uh, we have written into our programs uh, that we, we want to make such a policy that is based on social market economy, social market economy. But now it looks like that we are living in just a market economy. So uh, I, I think that we need to have better regulation on the EU level when it comes to situations when, when uh, somebody is attacking our society and, and we need to support uh, the uh, society and, and the civil people so that they will survive over the crisis. This is the state's role and also the EU's role. And then the good question about the European Central Bank, why are they rising the interest of rate at this moment? They should have done it for five years ago. Not now it's not the right moment to, to put more burden on people. Professor Czapotowicz? Um, no, Poland um, is not in Eurozone, so we have our own uh, fiscal policy. Indeed, inflation is very high and it is, the government is criticized for that, but it is due to costs. Uh, we have to finance the uh, stay of Ukrainian refugees. We have to support households uh, uh, which um, uh, compensate the uh, increase in, in energy prices. But Even though significant funds did come from various countries in Western Europe to help sustain this two million influx 
uh, some particularly of also from Germany, among others. Uh, some of some of uh, funds indeed uh, they are available, but uh, main kind of a recovery fund is not uh, allowed to Poles. Uh, we still waiting for that funds, depending on the um, system of uh, uh, change reform of our judiciary. So there is a discussion within the European Union. Not all funds are available for Poland. We criticize that, but it's a political issue. It will be resolved sooner, I think. And I also mentioned that we are dependent on coal in production of energy. We have to pay also uh, this artificial price for this ETS, um, energy trading system. We mm, propose to reform that or suspend. Uh, the answer is for the moment negative. But there are also countries in the European Union with much higher inflation rate than Poland, uh, Baltic states, 20-something mm -hmm. others. So we are in the margins. I think Estonia is doing the worst at this stage. But uh, General Nauman, your take on the current state of uh, the econo uh, economic well, inflation, uh, among I, others? I join my Finnish colleague on the, on the table. I think the... One of the many failures which we observe in these days uh, is also the behavior of the European Central Bank. Uh, they acted by far too late, and now they act at a point of time where it really concerns everyone's pocket. And uh, so the, we shouldn't be surprised that the trust in European institutions is lacking. Mm. And that is another uh, issue which Mr. Putin is uh, happily watching. Mm. And we should not give him any reason at all to be happy. Mm. So now I'm convinced that Poland took a good decision <laughs> not to join Eurozone and not to introduce Euro because it's criticized by everybody. Okay? Indeed. Well, um, with all this grim discussion that we have here, uh, there are some um, shreds of hope. I'd like to uh, regard them as such. Um, and there are wins in Europe that are, especially in the political sense, uh, that we're seeing uh, going. We still need to see them perform, but we'll start with you, Colonel Kemp, considering that we have a new prime minister also in the United Kingdom who has now two years to perform her duties and hopefully will be uh, more successful than her predecessor, uh, Boris Johnson. Um, how do you see this within the context of, of all those challenges that we're up against um, coming to the aid of Liz Truss, who has some experience in, in foreign policy and, and uh, strategic competition for that matter? Yeah, I think, I mean, she, you know, she's been prime minister for, I don't know, a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks, something like that now. Um, and they're already baying for her blood. Uh, the budget that she introduced, or her chancellor introduced a week or so ago, um, has resulted in decline in the pound and, and, and warnings from the IMF, etc. Uh, and, and people who don't live in England probably don't appreciate this, but she's, she's in real trouble and people are calling for the sacking of the chancellor and things like that now. Um, but I, I, I have to say, I mean, I'm, I'm far from being a, an economics expert or a financial expert, but I think, you know, whatever steps she took, whatever steps the government took to deal with the current financial situation would have been a real problem anyway, whatever, whichever decision you take. But I, I think one thing I would say is that she has shown 
in the short time she's been Prime Minister, she's actually prepared to do something, to actually do something which she knew was going to be unpopular and perhaps even election losing in two years' time, but, but was prepared to, to do something based on what she believed was right, which we have, I think we've, we've found that lacking in Britain over the last few years of, of a, having a leader that is prepared to take action. So I, I'm, 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 I'm happy, to, well, I'm not happy, but I'm, I'm likely to be proved wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that she's, as, as the new Prime Minister, that she is likely to be successful. Um, because of her, I think, what I consider to be her strong leadership capability. And she's uh, significantly more conservative than her predecessor she was, yeah. neoconservative for that matter. But I'd like to ask you, Mr. Osmond, uh, your Western neighbor, Sweden, has uh, uh, new leadership. Uh, do you see this? Uh, it's a big change. Uh, nobody expected uh, the, the big change to the uh, conservative right to come uh, from uh, a country that signifies the liberal left. To what degree is this going also to impact Finland, uh, other countries in the uh, Nordic sphere who are uh, quite uh, keen on seeing what their big uh, neighbor is doing, uh, namely Sweden? I wouldn't say that it makes any bigger uh, difference for Finland because in Finland we are used to that from term to term with the government uh, uh, basic is changed and we have a mix of both left parties and, and uh, parties to the right. In Sweden they, uh, they have had this system for many, many decades that uh, before the elections they are uh, making up coalitions between uh, center-right parties and then they have a coalition between leftists and uh, Swedes have be, uh, got used to that they have for many decades have parties led by a social democratic uh, prime minister now they will have a, a prime minister led by the Swedish National Coalition Party which is the name is in Swedish is Moderaterna I think this uh, Sweden need this change for this moment and uh, of course, as a member of EPP, I'm happy to, that they, they have a, a coalition consisting of National Coalition Party and Christian Democratic Party. Yeah, yeah okay, they, yet they haven't founded the, the government, but I, I think that they will be successful in the negotiation. It doesn't uh, change things in Finland. We have the election next spring and everything is open. We, you can't say yet who will be the winner in Finland. The next winter will... Uh, show how it goes in Finland. Indeed. General Nauman, I'd like to hear your take on the Swedish angle as well, but Italy, another country nobody expected to go that far right. Um, is there uh, an element of, in the past it used to be more neoconservative, uh, coming to the forefront well, to be able to mitigate the, the barriers with the centrists? Now we see pure conservatives coming to the forefront and uh, demanding a, a shift, so to speak? Well, uh, I look at the results in Italy was at the first instance, if you're asking me that question. And uh, of course, I'm not entirely pleased with the decision of the Italian voters. As far as I can see, uh, the programs of this uh, more right to the right leaning coalition which is about to be formed in Italy. Uh, but on the other hand, I take from the Prime Minister-designated statement that she will stick to the European Union and to NATO and will uh, uh, stay the course on Ukraine, that 
despite all party programs, there is some rationality which leads European politicians to the conclusion which we discussed early on, this is the time to stand together. And this is not the time to pursue narrow-minded nationalistic uh, views. We have to stand together, otherwise we all will fail. And mm. I think the, when we, the, each of us has raised the one or the other point a little bit full of critique with regard to the European Union. But I think we, we might all agree on the statement that we have to be happy to have the European Union since only united we count if we are just pursuing our national agenda, we will not matter at all. Absolutely. With that being said, of course, I, I don't think there is one conservative party in Europe that is truly against the concept of a European Union. Rather, it is the, uh, the way that the European Union is acting and not necessarily including. Uh, some may say that if the European Union, this was mentioned uh, before, if the European Union would try to become part of the European Union within its current standards, it wouldn't pass the test. So the, there are some contradictions within its own um, ways that it implements its own strategies. Uh, with that being said, of course, uh, it is a democratic concept and therefore it is also for the nation states to try and establish coalitions within that European Parliament and direct it in a certain direction. To what degree do you see this actually occurring, considering no. the fact that you've said time and again during today's panel, Poland is not being heard. What is Poland doing wrong that it's not being heard? Mm, I think that when we are talking about these elections, so um, election in Italy is somehow appreciated by current government and uh, land justice uh, government and party because um, um, uh, Meloni represents conservative values, Christian values, and we have to appreciate uh, uh, differences and uh, pluralism within the European Union. The perception of the European Union is similar by her, uh, that it should be rather um, uh, uh, grouping of national uh, um, uh, nations and national governments, then um, kind of a federation. I already mentioned the proposal to change decision-making system. It would be a big move towards uh, creation of a federation of European states. Now, we have to um, be modest, we have to accept differences, we have to understand uh, uh, different identities. And, and therefore, uh, therefore, Italy will, will strengthen that way of thinking as well as, as uh, Sweden. So the, what is the stake, at stake? Not the existence of the European Union, neither NATO, nor policy vis-a-vis -vis Russia and Ukraine, but the way how European Union will function in the future. And we agree uh, with, 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 with her view of the European Union as far as the governing party in Poland is concerned. General, uh, uh, General Nauman, one sentence on yeah. Well, you referred early on in your statement on Chancellor Scholz's uh, 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 last proposal on uh, unanimous decisions. And I think if one looks at it from the point of view of crisis management, uh, his, his proposal 
is, has some value. Since in crisis management, time is of the essence. And if you wait for the decision of 30 people, then you can't act in time. So we have to find a way which respects the national sovereignty of each state and makes at the same time the European Union or NATO capable of acting in time and in a, in a real decisive and resolute way. Colonel Camp? Briefly, because I know we're short of time now, yeah. but um, I, to me, um, the fact that the, one of the several unelected presidents of the EU immediately threatened to punish Georgia Maloney for the policies that, sh that they think she may be carrying out, I think says all you need to know about, you know, the elected Georgia Maloney, I think says you all need to know. And I, I, I hope she sticks by her guns. I hope she does what she's <laughs> promised to do. She, she's a strong supporter of NATO. She's critical of the EU, of course, and she's right to be critical of the EU. Mr. Osman? I don't judge uh, the new prime minister in Italy before I have seen what kind of politics she really stands for. I have listened to some of her speeches and I must say that as a centre-right represent, I, I can also agree on the values that he, she has upon uh, like uh, Christian values, the family view. And um, uh, what disturbs me that uh, when we know that there is a polarization going on in Europe and on the whole globe, uh, uh, then we should not uh, put uh, a stamp on anybody that they are far right immediately when they talk about Christian values because European Union is, is built upon Christian values. We need to have this in mind. Indeed, and uh, we should most definitely uh, discuss this in the next program up ahead um, where we will also ask a, a simple question. Why is fascism likened with uh, values of Christianity, family and, and other aspects? This is something that we need to uh, try and dissect and understand. Uh, where does this actually come from? But uh, this is all the time that we have for today. So I'd like to thank General Nauman, Professor Chapotovic, Colonel Kemp and Mr. Osman for being thank part you. of today's program. I'd like to thank all of you at home. Have a good evening and until next time. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.